listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. We are going through our sermon series, Left on Red, and we're going through the seven churches uh, in uh, the book of Revelation. And this comes from an experience that Adam and I had as we got to study over in Turkey um, last September together. And I was trying to remember on Sardis, I was having a tough time recalling Sardis and what Sardis was about, and now I remember why. So I, the night before we went to this particular site, I basically felt like I was deathly ill in the uh, hotel bed, and poor Adam was there next to me. But I, I remember it was a rough night of uh, sleep and, and sweats and fevers or whatever it was, but it was a difficult night. And so, but I'm a hard charger, I'm ready to go, and so I got up the next morning and we get to the site and we do our first hike, which wasn't an intense hike. It was an awesome hike and, a, and an awesome teaching about uh, at a vineyard. Um, and then really a great teaching that I'm sure we'll give to you guys at some point in the future. And then we were heading back down and it started to heat up. And I scurried my way up to our leader of the trip. And I was like, I'm not feeling that great. You know, I'm probably going to have to sit this next uh, excursion out. And you'll see it was the easy part of the excursion that we had got down to. And so my memory of Sardis is me laying somewhat near the gift shop on my back with my feet up on a chair uh, and the two bus drivers, the bus driver and the guide taking care of me and making sure that I was okay as I lay there with my feet up there. So I was like, why am I preaching this one again, Adam? And he's like, you scheduled it, dude. And I go, that's right. I did. Um, and so I got to go through Adam's notes, and obviously we have lots of uh, research and homework on this. But it's interesting where the Lord has taken me today uh, as we think about this church of uh, Sardis in this letter. So let's do what we've been doing, and we're going to get some reps on this letter as well. Um, and so I'm going to just read this raw without the notes on the screen, and just let the words wash over you and, and picture yourself in Sardis. And this is the letter you get. Uh, penned by John uh, from, from Jesus. And so this is to the church in Sardis. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive but you're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief And you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. But will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Sardis is a, uh, a very ancient and old city. It's 1400 BC. It's called by a different name in the book of Obadiah, uh, chapter 20. 
And uh, this was a wealthy city in its day. Uh, had a, uh, it was the, the capital of this Lydian empire. And as we, I have more pictures for you. Last week we did you, you're like two pictures, Josh. That's all you got in the whole trip. Uh, there wasn't a lot to see there in Thyatira, but we have lots of pictures for you today to see because this is a very visual sight. And it says so much just based on how it's positioned. And so Sardis the, uh, uh, sat on the top of this, the Acropolis, which is where all the important buildings were, was 1,500 feet above the commoners. And uh, this, this is a pretty, pretty impressive sight. Another hike I didn't get to do because I was too weak to do it. You know, how do I go from being on trips and carrying other people's backpacks on hikes to I don't even get to make the really cool hike? And there was so much pride that had to be set aside because you could endanger your, 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 your team and the people that you're with if you falter on this particular hike. This was like a warning hike from our guide, one that I would have loved to have been on, but the Lord had me sit and hang out by the... Um, the dead people, uh, <laughs> all the necropolis, not the people in my group that didn't go, but the necropolis, right? Um, this city was also noted for uh, dyed wool, product, uh, wool products. Um, it was also the center of worship for Sybil, the mother goddess. And those temples are still, vi- are those, uh, that temple still visible. Um, and it was like a, that particular worship was very excessive and very like deplorable, even amongst the pagans. Um, different kings ruled it. There was a royal road that went from Susa and it ended in Sardis, 1,500 miles. And it's kind of where we get the Pony Express. It was a 1,500-mile road. And they could, you could cover it in about three months walking um, or about nine days on horseback uh, with the horses just going. And they had mile posts. Like every 13 miles, there was a place to switch out the horses so they could get information pretty quickly in that time frame. Uh, so it was pretty important. It was the end cap of the royal road. Rome didn't get a hold of it till about 133 BC. And there's about 60 to 100,000. So by the time John's writing to it, this place had fallen quite a bit from its heyday. Uh, usually in Turkey, if something, if you're getting, you know, you're like, hey, what happened to the city? It's either like war or earthquake. And, and this city got crushed by the earthquake in 17 AD. And Rome wanted to rebuild it. Uh, Rome uh, allowed uh, a lot of money. And tax-free status for five years. They didn't have to pay their taxes to Rome for five years while they were rebuilding this. Had the fourth largest uh, temple to Artemis, 78 columns that it would take about probably six of us, seven of us to get our arms around one. And so this city uh, was a pretty proud city. Let's take a look at some uh, pictures here real quick. This first picture is the Acropolis. And that's where all the important stuff was. This, this place was famous for its defense. It, was the, it could never fall. I could never fall. We're so big. We're so strong. We're so powerful. So all the important buildings would be up there. And they didn't even need walls, hardly, because that's a pretty uh, tough hike to get up there. Sardis did fall twice. But this is the Acropolis. Next picture. This is the site looking down from the Acropolis, and we're seeing those columns there. And this is what it looks like now. Obviously, there's a little town there. But really, this city was done in about 1400 AD, was done. It was, there was no real purpose for it at that point in time. Next picture. This is getting a closer look as you zoom in on the, on the, on the uh, place here. Uh, 
the building, tall building to the left is the gymnasium, the Roman gymnasium. And so like when we think gymnasium, we think like shooting hoops and smelly gyms and all those things. Um, but when, when they thought gymnasium, that's the university. It's where education happens. And so this is a piece of this. So uh, proud to be educated. Next picture. This is a synagogue. This was the largest, one of the largest synagogues uh, ever uh, discovered in the Roman age. And this thing is giant and it's huge. And it's interesting. <clears throat> it's right next to the Roman education system. And there's lots of different shops that are around this place that would have Christian markings or Jewish markings on there. And it's almost like this is a pathway where you had this ancient road that came through here. You had Rome that was there. You had all these things going on. And it's like Christians were forced to interact with the rest of the world. That we didn't just run off and find our own spot and get with our own people and have our own stuff and our own stuff. Like we were meant to be right in the middle and the crossroads of the world to interact with people who don't know God. Wouldn't that be a weird plan for salvation? Next picture. Uh, this is the, the Temple of Artemis looking back that way. And this is some of those columns I was telling you about. Uh, 78 columns. This temple had a tough time getting finished because it kept getting destroyed by earthquakes. Um, but that didn't stop them from worshiping uh, this, this site and worshiping the God there. You know, all of these places are always looking for something to worship, to build something, to create something, some building, something really tall so we can look and be like, hey, that's what we worship. And if we just open our eyes... And look at God's most precious prize creation. All of us that are around, around each other and serving and taking care of each other. Look at his world that he has created. Like, oh, isn't that really cool? Yeah, he built the mountain. He built the mountain. And so as I see these, these letters over and over and over again, it's like, what can we get in our way of God? What can we bring in that's in front of God that we get to worship? Now, I want to go back and I want to read this letter with a little bit of cultural context. There's a great sermon that our church preached in 2014 on Sardis. And it has some uh, great detail that I'll pull out some of those things, but I don't want to just rehash a sermon that was already preached. God's taken me a different direction, but I will highlight some things. And if you missed that, you can go back online currently. I think it's 2014. Actually, July 20th of 2014. We had just... uh, been given the gift of this shopping mall in June. It was one of our earlier services in this uh, particular place, and we got to, to dive into to this topic. So anyway, you can reference that as well. So let's read this again with some context to our eyes. <clears throat> to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. We talk about the introduction where Jesus introduces himself as a, as a double-edged sword. He introduced himself last week as the Son of God. And this week, he's introducing himself in an interesting manner about this seven spirits and the seven stars. And there's lots of conjecture and lots of scholarly debate on what does this mean? And I think for me, as I was studying the text this week and reading a little bit more, uh, I'm going to fall in this camp that the number seven is there on purpose twice. And number seven is uh, completeness. It means completeness or wholeness. Some people would argue that it means being perfect, uh, but being complete or whole. So think about it this way. These are the words of the person who's whole, 
of a person who has completeness, is complete. They're complete in what God has, has for them. They're complete in the things that they do. And it might make sense as we go a little bit deeper here. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead, a city obsessed with life and death. The Acropolis, we cannot be destroyed. And then across from there, I didn't show you a picture of it, is the Necropolis. And the Necropolis is where you, the dead people are. There's over a thousand graves there. And this city, like the city of Smyrna uh, and some of the others, they're obsessed with life and death. And so it makes sense that Jesus would say, you know, you have a reputation of being alive. You have a reputation of being unstoppable, or you thought. But you're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. I wonder what kind of wake-up calls the churches are getting in our world today. What is the church being made to be? Is this a club? Is this a, is this a place where we hang out? Is this a place where uh, we hear God's word one time and then we leave and go and we think about it for a little bit? No, we're to be putting God's word upon our hearts daily. And I'm encouraging all of us to do that, to continue to put God's word on our, you don't, you don't need a pastor to tell you something awesome about God. You can hear it from God. You can open up your Bible and dive into the text and let it pour over you. Yes, God does great things as he communicates with us, but the Bible is meant to be uh, studied in, in community. Let me take a drink. I've been critiqued for holding my water bottle. But it's meant to, it's meant to, be, um, to, to be experienced in community. If you're married with your spouse, if you're in a small group and for to, to be understanding this thing, to be bringing it out and talking about it more than we talk about the Pac-12 realignment. Oh my God. You, you see, you are leaving. Who cares? Go. Roman world chasing money through our kids. You blow out your knee for 500,000. No big deal. We'll take care of that money. Sorry, side note. Meanwhile, back on the sermon. But doing life together, studying God's word together. Wake up. Don't forget about it. You know, you coming to church does not make you a Christian. You being in this building doesn't make you a Christian. Jesus Christ entering your heart and you pouring that out in the community around us and following his ways and his purpose, that's what makes you a Christian. We come here to celebrate Yes, we come here to learn. Yes, we come here to be moved. But this is a, this is a jumping off point. This isn't, this isn't complete. This is where we're inspired, hopefully, to move and to dive in and understand, and understand God in new ways. Hold on to your faith. Strengthen what remains and what is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. You know what the word, uh, the word unfinished means? It also says incomplete. And other versions. I am the complete, I am complete, Jesus says, as he's entering this place. And what's going on here is incomplete. There is no wholeness in worshiping other gods. Artemis has got nothing for you. Sybil is perverted and leads to horrible things. That God that you're worshiping. Come to wholeness, come to shalom, come to peace, he says. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard and hold, on, hold it fast and repent. They are not 
this is one of the one of the letters where there is no compliment. Uh, these are the good things I see that you're doing. <laughs> Straight to the hammer. So, like, it's not a knowledge issue. Like, you being a Christian and following what God wants you to do, is that a knowledge issue? Do we know that we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves? Do we know that we're not supposed to try and create a bunch of gaps? We're supposed to bring people connected to Jesus with us? Even if they're not in our same economic status? Even if, even if we're, we don't have the same political views? Like, they still, everybody still needs Jesus to be whole or complete. So we're saying, hey, it's not a knowledge problem, everybody. You have the information. We have access. We're in the information age. There's like 20 great sermons on Sardis. But we're not having an information problem here. This church knows what it's about, and it's doing great things out there. But are we going to be remembered more from like what we used to do or where we're going? They, had the, they knew the gospel. They had the info, but are they living it out? But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what uh, time I will come to you. This is pointing right to their history. Two times uh, Sardis fell, and it fell because people weren't paying attention because they weren't awake, because they, let, uh, they opened a door or a crack in. So they were trying to get up to this city. Uh, Cyrus the Great uh, was, was one of those folks, and they were, they were in Alexander. They were trying to get up to this city to conquer this city, and they, and they couldn't do it because it's up top there, and it's like totally a great defendable spot. But because of, a, of, of people falling asleep on the job, they were able to allow a, cr- a crack, and people were to, observant soldiers, observed what happened, and that city was able to fall because one guy lost his helmet, and he went down to get it, and they're like watching him. They're like, okay, they didn't have binoculars, but anyway. Um, they were watching him, and they're like, how did he go down there and then go back in? Oh, there's a place to get back in. One time, one of the stories was they threw a dead donkey over the edge because it's a long drop off that cliff. And they noticed that there was no buzzards right where they threw the dead donkey off. And they're like, huh, interesting. Or there, there were buzzards, excuse me. There were buzzards standing there. They're like, interesting. Why would buzzards be there, vultures be there at that side of the wall? Because they wouldn't be there if there was a guard there or if there was a human being there. See, the devil's awake He wants to get in. He wants to find the chink in your armor. He wants to find a spot. And we all have spots that aren't shored up because we're not complete yet. Are we aware of those? Is Jesus asking you to wake up anywhere in your walk? And I know this week for me, he said, Josh, wake up. You personally wake up. Wake up with how you're leading your family. Wake up with how you're leading the church. Wake up in these areas. And maybe God's calling you to wake up in certain areas. Yet a few of you uh, in Sardis uh, who have not soiled their clothes. There are a few people who haven't soiled their clothes. So this goes back to, there's this whole clothes analogy and dressed in white and all of these things. So a little context behind this. Uh, Sybil, that goddess, uh, you would worship her through not great means. This goddess didn't need either... She didn't need anything because she had she could reproduce by herself. 
she had both of the things she needed to reproduce by herself. And so they would get worked up in a frenzy over this goddess to worship this goddess, this created, this phantom goddess, and people would actually go and dismember parts of their male body and offer it up as a sacrifice. And there was this big giant festival that would happen and people would be dressed in white. And not everybody would get so worked up that they would be willing to do that. Just a few folks. And so one of the things that, uh, that would happen is if you got the blood on your white garment during this festival from somebody else who might have been worked up enough to do it, that was, that was, that was a good enough sacrifice to Sybil. So can you imagine people trying to not perform that sacrifice but get blood on their garments? So maybe that, since this was a pretty famous festival, maybe that has something to do with what we're about to read. Yet a few people in Sardis who have have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will be like them. They will be dressed in white, and I will never blot out the name of that person in the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. Walking in white. You don't need the blood from somebody else sacrificed on your white garment. You already have the blood if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Amen? There has been a sacrifice. You don't have to create another sacrifice. You know, people performing self-harm and then doing, like, they're do, for what? That's evil. Even, even the Roman world thought that was evil, and that's something. So to not put another God in front of us. So I, as I've been reading these letters and, and thinking about this, you always hear, let, let, the, uh, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I was asking myself this question. God's been speaking to his churches for a long time. All of his churches. He's speaking to all of his churches in Moscow. We have a bunch of great churches in this town. And may God's hand be upon every one of them. And may they flourish and may people come to know Jesus. Amen? And he's speaking different things. Each churches have different giftings and different things that they're doing. And, and what we're about, like, what is God saying to this church? To those of you that call this place home, what is he saying to you? What is he saying that you get to be a part of, that you get to engage? That, do you know that we believe that church is a team sport? That we're not here to observe. We're here to get on the field and be engaged. The pastor doesn't have any special something, 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 like a call, whatever it is, but like God has something for you in your life, and you can go out and be engaged in the kingdom. You are a kingdom of priests. What does a church completely sold out to the mission of God look like? Have you ever seen one? A church that is absolutely like, man, there is sacrifice going on there in a good way, and their area is way better because they exist. What is going to be better about the Palouse because we're here? What are some things that should, should or should not be happening on the Palouse because there's a powerful group of motivated Christ-following believers right here today, right now, who have a God, who has a God that is complete, who is whole. What does a church completely sold out to the mission of God look like? Dream it in your mind. What would it look like? What do you want to be a part of? 
You don't want to be a, a fan of a church, do you? Be a follower of Jesus' church. The gates of hell will not prevail against whose church? Jesus' church. Whose job is it to keep it Jesus' church? Ours. By trying to look like what Jesus looks like, the best that we can as God moves in our lives. Our vision is to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. And our mission is to make biblical disciples in relational environments. Are you in a relational environment? How many people think about that? You get up in the morning, you're like, all right, Lord, one person at a time, who do you have for me today, God? Because I am your servant. I am on your mission more than I'm on my mission. Who am I going to get together with and talk about Jesus and his word with? Is that a scheduled appointment in your life? My hope as the lead servant of this church is that we're going to continue to be a generous church. We've been very generous. We've been very blessed as well. In our giving of our resources, I have lots of dreams and goals. I'd love to tell you guys about them. You want to hear about them? I have, the Lord has been opening and igniting the dreams that he would have possibly for our church and what we get to be a part of. I want to tell you about them, but I can't right now. Dang it. But I will soon. And it's going to take us all to be very generous in our gifts and our talents and our time. I hope we continue to be generous in those areas. I hope we continue to be generous outside of these walls. You know, we had a, uh, a phone call yesterday and somebody was looking for a place to sleep in their car that they wouldn't get kicked out of. They've been driving around and trying to find a place to sleep and came in and were like, yeah, go ahead. They're trying to get on their feet. They're trying to get on their feet. I had another, I heard another prayer request about uh, a couple that there was a single mom who was trying to get on her feet and they moved her and their kids into her house because they had a spare bedroom, a spare spot to help this single mom get on her feet. That's real life. That's, that's the people that you go to church with. One of my roles at this church is to make sure we as a whole, or all of y'all, all y'alls, all of us, stay awake and are vigilant. That Jesus doesn't have to come and tell us, wake up, because we're awake. And we're seeking his plans and his purposes. Wake up, church and Sardis. Wake up, real life. Remember who we are, where we've been, and be sensitive to where God is leading us. Where is he leading us? Where is he leading you? We want to keep it his church. I want to share with you one value, and then we'll go to communion. I want to share with you a value that's in our bylaws, and, and I believe it's in our membership covenant too. Let's take a look at this. Family. It's something that I value. It's something that I strive to lead within our staff and I strive to lead within our church and and I want us to be on the same page. Family, we believe that creating a healthy and safe family environment full of people who are vulnerable, forgiving, loving, and like to have fun together. Being a Christian is fun. Gives people the opportunity to experience what the family of God is like. 
You want to be part of that family? That has fun, that's vulnerable, that's forgiving, that's loving? I want to be part of that family. Next. On a personal side, you got to fight for relationship, not for being right. You know, being right doesn't change. What God says is right and what God says is wrong doesn't really change based on my opinion or yours. But fighting for a relationship and letting God's truth pour over us is something we should be known for. Practicing uh, practicing biblical conflict resolution. When we do life together, we step on each other's toes. And we don't take our ball and go home. We don't run away. We come and talk to someone. If you have conflict like with me, good news. I have an open door. Like we could handle it the way God handles it and see how it works out by his ways. Right? I, I could be wrong. I think I was wrong on a couple things. Last week, I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I meant that. Uh, have fun and celebrate with one another. Uh, I want to celebrate today. Jessica's in the back. You don't even probably know what she looks like, but she's been serving at our church for years. She's getting ready to add one more person to the kingdom of God. And she's back there directing cameras probably. Hi, Jessica. Uh, directing cameras and working her tail off. But she's going to take some time away to take care of her baby and learn what it looks like to be a mom and have help. But she's been serving at our church for a long time. And we should celebrate someone that we don't even get to see. Let's give a hand for Jessica. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So we celebrate one another. We celebrate what we see. Uh, next. Uh, in ministry, we fight for relationships, not for being right. We cr- create safe environments that are inviting and welcoming for anyone to come. Restoration night is awesome on Thursday nights. That's a safe environment. You want to work on your walk? You got stuff. You got issues just like your pastor. You could go there. Like, we're providing these things, so you could go there. There's, we have staff, I have a staff member right now that's in a step study. I'm so stinking proud of him. Let's go dive into a step study. Let me see. Let me see what's going on inside. Your staff attends those. Your pastors attended those things. Why wouldn't you if, if something's going on? Oh, it would take a whole two and a half hours out of your life. There's probably something good on Netflix we could be watching that would be bringing me closer to Jesus. Have fun and celebrate with one another. So I, I think I just want you to know that's the value that our church has. We experienced a little bit of that with our July 3rd uh, barbecue, but... We want to take advantage and spend time together. Get to know each other. Don't come to just a building to hear a service and a message and, and critique or not critique it or up or down or let it just leave you. Like be inspired to move where God has you. Be inspired to move as he's moving this church and we're going to take some big swings soon. We've been taking big swings, but we're going to take some bigger swings. The biggest swing that's ever been taken for you and I, Jesus Christ. And so we're going to take this time to celebrate communion. If you did not grab communion on your way in, uh, Ron's over there, and I think Dennis or somebody else will be over there. Raise your hand. We have gluten-free ones. But if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it is time to participate. Jesus asked us to do this as often as we get together, uh, and so we want to do this. But taking communion isn't just a snack. It isn't just something we're doing for fun. It's a time to reset. It's a time to take inventory in your life. And today we could ask God, where am I supposed to wake up? You're trying to wake me up in my Bible reading, Lord? Am I just going through the motions and just checking off a box or am I like having an open and moldable heart as I come to your word and approach it? Is it in your prayer life? Is it in fasting? Is it in worship? You've been caught worshiping recently? Did somebody sneak in and catch you just like, woo, praising the Lord? 
and the music was too loud and you didn't hear him? You're singing in the shower? How are you doing in your worship? How's that setting the tone for your day? And so as we come to the, to the Lord's table here, sometimes we need a reset. And what I love about these letters in, in today's letters is like, repent, turn away from that stuff and come back to what is complete and what is whole. And Jesus Christ is complete. And Jesus Christ is whole. And he offers that to us for us to be complete and whole through him. So let's pray and we'll, we'll go to communion. Father God, I just ask for your hand upon these particular folks here and those online that came here today to hear your word, Lord. And your word to Sardis is powerful. Your call to wake up mattered then and it matters today. And Lord, I ask that you would wake us up to your purposes and your plans. You would crystallize those in our mind. We would get confirmation through prayer and through worship and through reading your word and from others about where you'd have us go as we reach the world for you and through you one person at a time. Help that to be on the forefront of our mind. And so, Father, we come to your table humbly. We ask for you to to enter us as we put this cracker and juice in our mouths, but really what we want is we want your very spirit to continue to dwell in our hearts and flourish, God. And so we come to you as a reminder of this. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and we had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body. This is, this is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember how Jesus says to wake up and he is within us. Let's remember. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this when you drink of it in remembrance of me. Do you remember? Do you remember Jesus when you wake up? Let's remember him. Father, I thank you for this time with my brothers and sisters. I ask, Lord, that you would just uh, move and inspire folks to study your word uh, in depth, to let it wash over their heart, to not be worrying about Greek words or Hebrew words or any of those things, Lord, but speak to us as we spend time with you. Speak to us as we study. We want to get to know you, Lord. We want to get to know you and your, your good and pleasing and perfect will for our lives, Lord. Help us be unified as a church. Help us be bold as we take big swings like you did. Help us to connect with your people. Make those divine appointments this week, Father, and let us recognize them. Let us wake up. Don't let me sleep as a leader, Lord. Not of this place. Don't don't, don't let me miss, Father God. I do want sleep, but the good sleep. Lord, so just have your hands upon us. Give us guidance and wisdom, and we love you. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.